Hi, this is Barack Lurie, and this is the Barack Lurie Podcast with me, my friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. And uh, we are Lurie and Associates, soon to be Lurie and Seltzer, but uh, Lurie and Associates, we focus on real estate, business litigation, doing the things that we love to do. And I got to tell you, um, I have a chessboard in our office, and it really informs the way we practice law. I just uh, had a nice resolution of a case, um, and it really kind of kind of congeals everything that we talk about, you and I, Ari, about doing the right thing, getting a, an efficient result, and um, seeing things from the eye of the client, and, and, and just you really just have to hone in your skills and do your homework, figure out the facts, and then make decisions, right? Unlike this administration of ours, right, where they just kind of react. I mean, if I were to practice law the way that the Obama administration does its presidenting, <laughs> I, I think we'd really be in trouble with the state bar. We, we, you just can't do the law the way the president is doing uh, his role as a president. It's really quite a, quite a shanda, as we say in Yiddish. Uh, let me give you examples. Um, I mean, the obvious ones, of course, come to mind right away, which is the, the Obamacare website. What a disaster that was, right? Suddenly, they're so surprised that, that uh, it's completely falling apart. They didn't beta test this. This is supposed to be the big thing, and it all falls apart. And it takes how many months before they can actually get any people on board? And then, of course, they don't get the 8 million people they claim to have gotten on board. They instead don't. They have six million, and it's actually reducing in numbers as opposed to increasing in numbers. Um, so it's an embarrassment there. Then you have the ISIS disaster, of course, and that's the consequence of, of pulling out every single man from Iraq. Then you have the consequence of Benghazi, having not realized what was going to, going to happen there. They didn't do anything there. This goes on and on with just about everything else, including the Ebola scare, right? Um, as we sit here today... Uh, Ebola is uh, is an issue in the United States. Uh, I predict that it's not going to lead to the tens of thousands of cases per week, uh, as they predict, at least for within one month, they say. I just don't see that happening for a whole bunch of reasons. But nevertheless, uh, the management of that, uh, you know, they were definitely behind the eight ball on that one. God only knows what uh, Obama would have done during Hurricane Katrina, remember that. <laughs> remember that. But he, he won't get. He wouldn't get the same blame that uh, Bush got. Anyway, the point is, you gotta you gotta know your facts. You gotta understand who you are, what your role is. And for him, the world is a, is an annoyance where you have to react. Apparently, from time to time, I think he just gets up every day and hopes that nothing bad really happens. He, he really just he wants to golf. He wants to hang out with his uh, his buddies. Uh, including uh, what's her name, the the actress that he was just here in Brentwood, um, Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah, um, and and just put out good feel good messages and uh, like the minimum wage and the fair act and the, fair, the equality and pay thing, none of which is getting traction, by the way. <laughs> that's the, that's the amazing thing. So anyway, that's that's uh, what I, I kind of want. I'll touch upon that in a moment, but one of the things that you and I um, have talked about at length is this notion of um, of just thinking things through, right? Everything has to be thought through. And one of the areas that 
we have always explored and, and love is this notion of God being there for us all the time. He's, he's everywhere, right? God is unknowable. God is unseeable. Um, God is above time. God is above nature. Um, God is truly a mystery. But we know that God is also a moral God. God well, why so? Because he's given us morals. Uh, he's given us a sense of morality. He's given us perspective in that way. And it's about perspective that I want to speak about today. How so? Have you noticed, uh, Ari, that, that those who have true faith in God, Christian or Jewish or otherwise, when they have true faith, there is a remarked, remarkable lack of belief in global warming. I, I've noticed that those people who believe in global warming tend to have very little faith in God, if, if any faith at all. Have you noticed that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There, there's this very strong correlation, not a causation, but a correlation. I can say the more orthodox somebody is, whether Christian or otherwise, the more skeptical they are about global warming. Now, this show is not supposed to be about global warming. I'm not going there, but I'm giving it as an example. And there are many other type issues like this, global warming, that, that have been out there. Um, the notion, for example, that there's been an overpopulation issue. And now, the latest thing, the Ebola scare. Okay? I put it to you that you and I, who have a profound, deep belief in God, are a little bit skeptical of this Ebola business. Okay? The perspective is different for us than it is for a lot of the hysterics out there. Very, very different. And why why is it, Ari, that we have for the perspective? It's not as if it's a secret, right? It, it, it's never been that a scare like this has ever actually manifested itself, right? They, they want it to seem as if it's the plague. And it's, it's just not. Um, it, but, but all the recent uh, skies falling scenarios that have been playing out for the past, what, 50 or 60 years, none of them have panned out, right? Whether it's the overpopulation scare, the AIDS in America scare, um, the uh, the global warming scare, of course, global cooling as well. Nuclear winter. Nuclear winter, uh, good, good. Any environmental scare, DDT. Uh, selenium, uh, uh, yeah. anything. Well, then there's a SARS scare, remember? The avian flu scare. Well, well I think it is, you know, to, to be fair to the, those people, these things are real in many times. Yeah. Disease is disease. But those of us who believe in God have perspective. That's we, the point. And our perspective, to contrary to the non-believers who make fun of us, includes both an awareness of history and science. So we know... Okay, uh, a deadly virus is a serious thing, but we also know it's not going to wipe out everyone, right. and it won't shake our foundational belief in God. Okay, so, so here's the question. Why? Why is it so that you and I can see very clearly a correlation between those who have faith in God, belief in God, and are not so impressed, are, are quite quite uh, skeptical of this notion that of global warming and the Ebola virus and SARS and all those things that we just talked about. 
why is it that we're so much skeptical about this? And, and that we're able to trot those out and say, uh, you know, but it didn't happen before. And I, so forgive me for being a little skeptical about this latest scare. Just forgive me. But why is it that we, we can see this and the others cannot see this? And, and I, I think I have an answer to this. I think the reason why is that when you have no faith or very little faith in God, you know, not a real faith, a deep faith in God, you, you, you must pray to a God of some kind or another, whether, whether you realize it or, another, or not. We talked before about how you pray to communism, you pray to liberalism, you, you, you can pray to even fascism, um, depending on who's in charge at the time. And if you don't have that particularly, we don't really have ism necessarily. I mean, they certainly pray to environmentalism, for example. Yeah, but, but they have many gods, many of them. And it's environmentalism, liberalism and such, and a scare. Like you can call it Ebolaism if you want. Or, but this, this fear thing is, is, that, is something that they gravitate toward. It's, it's as if they walk around with their heads cut off wondering what's, what's going to befall them next. I, I think, you see, one of the things about the Roman gods and the Greek gods and all the gods of, of yore was that they were all very fickle, right? You, you didn't know what this god or that god wanted of you. There was no morality in, in, the, in the equation. They just kind of did their thing. There were many gods, and they, they were fickle, and they were jealous, and they had all sorts of funny rules among themselves that we couldn't understand, and you just got to pray that the, the, the gods of chance would look favorably upon you somehow. But not because you did anything good or bad. Just, you know, that, that's where all these stupid superstitions with the salt over your shoulders and don't, don't go under the ladder and black cat crossing across your, you know, your, your, your path. All that crap came from. It's totally random stuff, which if you were to follow them today, it's really an insult to God, right? So... I, you know, the 13th of uh, Ebony number and all, all that crap. But it's these people who don't believe in God or don't have a, a real deep abiding belief in God that are so willing to accept this latest thing that will control them. You see, that's, that's the thing. that The Ebola scare controls them. The fear of it controls them. And I, and I, I do know why. I think it's something ingrained within us that we seek it out. And we're at their mercy, just like the young Romans, not the young Romans, the Romans of the day were at the mercy of their gods, of the randomness of life. And so we've created this God. And everyone's talking about don't, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And, and uh, they, they've extrapolated the second nurse now who's died from Ebola, that that must mean 10,000 per week for the next you know, starting in December, starting in November, actually, they say. Just in time for Christmas shopping. <laughs> That's right. So, and, and the stock market has actually responded a little bit to this in a panic. I'm not saying that the stock, the stock market is not a logical market, right? It, it reacts in a kind of a funny way. It's, it's, but, but there's all this fear. And you and I and, and all our deep Christian friends and our deep Jewish friends, we see through this crap. And... I, I think, frankly, for, for many reasons, we we can actually benefit from all this. We First of all, we don't live in fear, right? It just makes no sense. 
And then secondly, you know, if I were much more savvy in the investment world, I'd, I'd buy a lot of the stocks now that have plummeted in value because it's not a rational plummet, right? Uh, among them, the airline stocks. Why, why are those stocks plummeting? Because the fear is that people will not want to be in closed, confined spaces for fear of contracting Ebola. Therefore, they, the airplanes, of course, are very confined spaces, and so uh, they fear that people won't fly, and therefore the airline stocks plummet. Okay. Now's the time to buy airline stocks, folks. <laughs> That's the time, right? So now I want to take this one step further. I want to discuss how this impacts also the Obama administration, and for that matter, the liberal agenda altogether. I think it actually explains the liberal agenda. Have you noticed that every time we call it a reactive presidency, right? I mean, it's ISIS, they're reacting to that. Then there's the website, they react to that. Um, I'm saying this in no particular order. And then Ebola right now, which they're reacting to as well. Uh, the, the IRS scandal, they react to that. And, and uh, they have to constantly react. This is, this is the sign of an administration that has no core principle, has no guiding concept. Um, now, you may say, well, what are you talking about, Mr. Lurie? You, you, you've got, you know, he wants to push forward with uh, equality for women, and he wants to push forward with the minimum wage and the Fair Pay Act or whatever they, that he wants to call it these days. Uh, no, I think he's doing that only because that's not really on his agenda at all. He's doing it because he sees that as, as a distraction. He's hoping that people will rally behind it, but he's, he's got no real plan. It's not as if he's advancing anything. So this is what's happening. This is uh, the president himself is acting consistent with all the people in the, in the country just following the, the latest fear and the latest God. How about that? That's what I think is going on. And, it's, and this is what you can expect from a country which no longer has God as its center focus for the organizing principle of, uh, of its country, of, of the country itself. You can't have it. We used to be a lot less fearful. We used to have a, a tremendous amount of bravery, especially during World War II. I think that had, if we were to be confronted with uh, a, a force identical to the Nazis from Germany, everything happening the exact same way, what's that you say? We have that with something called ISIS? Oh, okay. That's right. <laughs> okay. But, but if, if we were to have exactly the Hitler situation, exactly the Nazis all over again, what would happen? Would we, would we still have the, the stomach to fight the way we fought back then? I think not. You know, one of the beautiful things about uh, World War II is despite the fact that we had to go fight it and how horrific it was, one of the good things about World War II was that it was fought in three and a half years, at least from the American perspective. It took only three and a half years from our beginning, from, from December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor Day, to, to the end of uh, the war in Europe, which was June of 1945. That's three and a half years, my friends. And, you know, the only reason why it lasted only three and a half years, I mean, that seems like nothing, right? The, the Iraq war, the Afghanistan war, is lasting a lot longer than, than three and a half years. 
The reason why it lasted three and a half years and so much was accomplished in that three and a half years was because of the resolve, the courage of Americans to take up the mantle and fight this bastard named Adolf Hitler. That's what it took. And I don't think we had that resolve because the resolve that it took required a a deep-rooted faith, not only in America, but in God. That's what I think. Well, I think you're kind of comparing it a little inaccurately in this respect. Okay, your numbers on that are true. But what's not called World War II? The June 1945 to the present occupation of Germany. Imagine if we had liberal media calling that World War II, the peacekeeping. Oh, I see. The nation building. How can we afford this nation building? I see, yeah. Should we have brought our troops home in 1946 or 1947? If we had, uh, yeah, we'd be fighting. Oh, in other words, the the war is still going on is what you're saying. The the, the war in Iraq, Iraq Part 2, ended in about four weeks. That's a good point. But I'm not really really going there. My, My point is that... You know, because that's more of a semantic point, and it's a good point. I mean, that this is what the liberals would do today. I get it. But I'm saying that the resolve was there. It's just not the same thing. When we go to war today, uh, even with the uh, attack on ISIS right now with the Air Force, uh, the, the airstrikes, we wouldn't do that. If this were 19, in the 1940s or even the 1950s, we would go whole hog on this, and we would we'd lay waste to that, to that, those crappy, horrific people. That's what we would do. We wouldn't try to be surgical. Uh, we would just kill these mother efforts. That's what we would do. Okay? And that's what we did in World War II, and we did it effectively. And we adopted Churchill's mantra, which is victory, victory at all costs. That's what he said, and that's the way they prosecuted that war. And, as, and they were vicious in response. Um, Dresden is such a good example of, of how England responded to the Battle of Britain. And I'm not saying that we should be vicious in that sense because Dresden truly was not a military, a military target in the same way. But we, we need to be much more um, effective, much more to the point, and much more emboldened and understand who the enemy is and understand what evil is. But you can't have all that. That's my point. You can't have it without a very clear understanding of God. I think that every soldier that fought in World War II with very few exceptions, they knew that the man standing next to them, fighting alongside them, that he believed in God. And that the leaders that were, that were pushing them to go charge in the battlefield, that they believed in God. There was that very strong sense of, of purpose and mission and, as you said, Ari, perspective. We don't have that anymore. But also, they were fighting a war where they knew the women and children at home believed in God. That's the real big thing. The soldiers today standing shoulder to shoulder with each other in battle or in airplanes might know yeah. other believes in God. But they definitely know back home a bunch of us don't. Yeah, that, it's, think, yeah it, it, that's right. In a sense, they're fighting with America itself. Um, yeah. they, don't, they, they know they don't have the backing from America itself. It, in a it, spiritual sense. In a spiritual sense. It's, it's the John Kerry attitude. You know, if, you're, if, if you don't make enough money, you might end up in the military, right? Or if you don't go to high school or something like that, you might end up being a moron and going to, to the military, which is so offensive to anybody, who, the proud men and women who've served our military. 
what a ridiculous and, 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 and insane and insulting comment that That's he had made. Right? But, but in truth, Veritas, you know, it's, what do they say? It's uh, in vino Veritas. Right. It, it came out and, and, and it reflected his true attitude toward the military. And he has contempt for the military. As opposed to those brilliant people who drop out of high school and immediately go on welfare. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, he, th- that's, that's, that's his problem. But this is a completely different, it's a new world that we have. We talked before about uh, the zombie culture, right? I mean, I think it was just the last podcast, podcast that we did. And that, you know, we feel in some sense surrounded by zombies. And you and I are no longer going to be infected by it because we, we are inoculated with wisdom and some experience and some, some basic knowledge of reality, right? And we're more concerned for our children and uh, people that are, are naive and who might be susceptible to nonsense like that. Okay. There were such people back in World War II, the time of World War II, but there, were, but there are so many more zombies now. And uh, I fear for our men and women in the military. Think of all the, the confluence of factors that, that make it difficult um, for us to succeed in anything. First, what we just talked about, which is that men and women don't feel that they have the backup from, the, uh, from America. That, they, that you're asking them to die for something, to, to throw themselves into battle, and then you're, you're basically sending the signal, yeah, you might, you might actually take this town, but guess what? Uh, we may decide to you know, turn tail and run away anyway. And so everything you're doing now is for naught. So, you know, if you're a soldier thinking that you're going to die to, to, to take that hill, you, you're more likely to, to die to take that hill if you know that your country is going to keep that hill. But if it's, the country is going to be fickle about it, you're going to say, I don't know if I want to fight so hard. Why should I die for, for this country that doesn't have my back? All right, so that's, that's issue number one. And then, of course, issue number two is that the allies that we're supposedly protecting, we're, not, we're sending them the wrong signals well. We're saying, well... We'll be here for uh, X amount of years, and after that, you're on your own, dude, and uh, thanks very much. And then, of course, we're sending the signal to the enemies that we, we, that we have, and those enemies are saying, well, we'll just sit it out and wait it out for the Americans to leave, and it only emboldens them. So this is what happens when you lose all this perspective. That, that's the disaster of it. And we see a, a, perspective, a, a, a loss of perspective in this administration in, in, in a completely total way. They, they are like all right, like a kite in the wind. And you, you cut the string and, and with a strong wind. And the, what happens to the kite? It just goes where the wind takes it. Eventually it falls to the ground. It certainly doesn't stay afloat. But that's, what's, that's what you can expect. It'll smash upon this building, that building. Maybe run into a, you know, brush it alongside a tree. Who knows? It goes where the wind takes it. If you cut that string, and that's the way this administration is. That's everything you're seeing is consistent with the, 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 the random kite floating in the, in the wind. It's, it's actually terrifying. And um, it's just the, it, it would be okay if, if it weren't so damaging at the end of the day. Well, I want to move on to a related topic. And this is a topic that you and I touched upon offline. And I also mentioned in my Sunday show... And it was about what to expect in the next two and a half years with this president who clearly lacks perspective, right? And who 
clearly has no idea of why he is president. He doesn't seem to know what a president does. We've decided already, and I think correctly, that a president is commander-in-chief. That's his main mission. It's not to effectuate policy in America domestically. It's not to create, um, to, to change the entire system. That's what, you, apparently you can do it, but it doesn't mean that's what you're supposed to do. Your main job is commander-in-chief and to sign bills into law and or veto them as the case may be. But he thinks it's exactly the opposite. He thinks he's, he's there to start dictating terms of, of how people should run their lives in America and to let go of the world outside altogether, to, to retreat from the world scene. That's the perspective that we have from, from Obama. And we ask the question, what's going to happen in the next two and a half years? And I, on my Sunday show, I, I say, you can, you can see an acceleration of problems. It's not just going to be Ukraine. It's not going to just be um, China and Iran and ISIS and now it's going to be Hong Kong. You know, things will be just rolling. You know, in a in a assembly line fashion. I'll just you know, and it'll be like that that I love Lucy episode where the famous one with the candies with the candies, right, with chocolates, and she just can't seem to get it together, and she's not fast enough, and she ends up starting to eat the candies, and it's just it's an embarrassment for her, and it's very funny the episode. But that's what Obama's like, right? He's he just these, these problems are just mounting upon them, up, upon him, and he just can't deal with it. And so he's doing the equivalent of eating the candies, right, to, to avoid the problem. And it, it's not going to stop the problem. And one after the other comes another problem down the assembly line that we're talking about, the latest being Hong Kong. Um, and China's already done crazy things with the Philippines and Vietnam, and soon they'll do... Um, Japan, and, and because there's, there's disputes with Japan on certain islands, and they're going to start being aggressive with Taiwan. You'll see. Yeah, and and this is in in this in the next two and a half years, yeah, it's going to happen. As well, I call it global chaos it's, yeah. it, to the point where don't forget American cities, St. Louis, the, which is one of the most stable heartland cities in the country, is going into chaos because no one is standing up and stopping it. Right. And that's in our country. And then out of our country, Venezuela, Argentina, uh, Brazil, uh, you know, Nicaragua. Every, country, every country, every continent is, is uh, facing a crisis. Yeah, it's in flames. Yeah. Uh, the Middle East, of course. Europe. You know, Europe, Europe. Is, is going into that case yeah. everywhere. And it will seem uncontrollable, like an uncontrollable fire when yeah. he leaves office. It's uh, he w- he won't be able to, to handle it. It's like I said, Lucy and the assembly line, and the, 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 of course every analogy breaks down because the assembly line doesn't go up and attack Lucy. Um, but we're going to be surrounded. It'll be like the multiple fires, and at some point the fireman just gives up, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you you if you cannot contain, you need to contain a fire at least thirty percent, and then it, you, you have to hope that it's forty percent and such. But if you're constantly finding you're containing less and less, and the fire is growing bigger and bigger. What's the point? Well, to make the analogy about o- fires in Obama accurate, it would be like Guy Montag from Fahrenheit 451, where the firemen show up and they have gasoline in their pumps. Yeah, not not water. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, he's, he's again. This is a, a a difference that we still have, but it's a difference between one where you of of, of neglect and culpable neglect, 
and, uh, and, and actually doing something by design. Deliberate intent. Deliberate intent. So, so look, uh, the assembly line is happening now, and, and we're talking about this acceleration. I wouldn't have thought of Hong Kong, by the way, in the past month. Um, I, I, all, but what I did say on my Sunday show is you can expect this kind of crap to be happening from one hot spot to the other. I, I, I seriously didn't think Hong Kong would be a hot spot. No, but the but, Hong Kong hotspot, different than others, is it's a good hotspot. We want uh, agitation against the Chinese government. Yeah, oh, the, but, but, the but no, no, but I, I, I'm sorry to say, sorry to report to you and sorry to deflate your, your hopes here, because the reason why it's happening is not because they suddenly agitated and said this. It's because China decided it, it could go ahead and start dictating terms to Hong Kong. Yeah, That's why. And so you're seeing, yeah, some students, you know, saying, I, we don't like this, we don't like this. But th- they're going to lose. There's no way things are going to go back. China's not going to say, you know what, you've got a good point. Uh, you guys go back the way you were. It's, it's not going to happen. It's done. Hong Kong is, is going to go bye-bye. Not, not a, it'll still be capitalist for a while, for a long while, but they're going to start controlling it, and the world will be able to do nothing and say nothing. And what's really happening is that they're using Hong Kong as a testing ground for Taiwan. Yes. Okay? And then who knows what what, uh, China's plans after that, Uh, but they're going to have plans. Because, folks, it's, it's, uh, what do they call it, Uh, free day at school. You know, you, you can do whatever you want now. The Russians can do what they want. The Iranians can do what they want. The Chinese can do what they want. Soon the North Koreans can do what they want. It's, it's going to be a very interesting show. And the worst part of it, Ari, is that it's going to accelerate in speed in the next two and a half years. Yeah, well, I think one of the ways that we are mistaken in looking at this is it's not the, these individual forces or these individual co- countries. It's the global force of evil that's rising up in all of these countries, yep. uncontrolled by the force of good, which, because we've abdicated our, our country to this, this leaderless leader, isn't able to focus itself to counter evil it's, on a global scale. And it's happened so fast. That's the f- well, evil doesn't rest. I, I, well, but the point is that it's happened so fast. And the only good side of this, of course, I don't, I don't want this to be happening, I have to see the silver lining, so to speak. Is It's proof positive. You see, folks, you wanted America not to be the world's policeman. Here you go. This is what happens. Thank you very much. Any questions? It's like that commercial, you know, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs, right? You can say, okay, this is the world. This is the world without America as, as its policeman. Any questions? Right? So... I'm I'm so fearful of the next two and a half years. And Brett Stevens wrote this fantastic article in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Did you happen to read it? It's it's really he says basically that exact point, and he says, look, uh, he he explains why it'll happen, which is it's kind of obvious, but he articulates it in a nice way. He he says everyone knows that they don't have to worry about Obama, that he's self-infatuated, and that he's a weakling. And he says exactly those words. He's a self-infatuated weakling. And uh, he has no interest in engaging the world. And they know that good until the year, uh, until January 2017, at the very uh, uh, earliest, they can do whatever they damn well please. And, And the signal now is do it now while the opportunity is there. That's a clear signal. 
and uh, and who and what happens when when Obama uh, loses the Senate and loses even more control in the Congress, right? Then he's truly uh, a, a paperless tiger. He he won't be. Is it paper tiger? Yeah, paper tiger. Then what happens? Then he won't have any authority at all to do anything domestically, and, and because that's all he thinks he's he's there for is to effectuate change domestically. He needs to you know transform the country, and he because he doesn't care about the world. So then what? What does he do? Yeah, but, but saying he's weak goes with the assumption this is the divide between us. See, I think Obama isn't weak. I think he's on their side. Yeah, I know, and, I know. And he's strong against us. Right. Understand? It, it, so by having that attitude in the Stevens piece, he's making, I believe, the same mistake. You know, thinking that, oh, there's no one in the breach to protect America. Where is he? He's playing golf. He's caring about domestic issues. No, it's worse. You're saying he's playing it all. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's, it's uh... who, who gives Iran or lets Iran get nuclear weapons? Who does that? Yeah. Who, who, Jimmy Carter wouldn't have even done that. Okay. Uh, look, the, the point that Brett Stevens makes is that regardless, the perspective from the outside world, they, they don't know. It's not as if they're in a big conspiracy with him, right? So even if he... You don't remember that? Tell Vladimir oh, I can be more flexible. Okay. I, 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 let, let's be, let's be, uh, let's be intellectually honest with it. Because that, that's not an indication of a conspiracy, right? He okay. said it. That's, no. All right. If he were to say that there's, uh, if, if if there were really conspiracy going on with Vladimir Putin, he would say, "Listen, I'm going to let you take over, you know, whoever you want, and uh, you know, and you can, you can, in fact, you can invade uh, America too, something like that." But he's saying that he's flexible. That's not good enough. That's that's not evidence enough. Flexibility means that, you know, he'll make, he'll be able to make deals, and uh, after the fact, but that's not a conspiracy. I'm going to move on. Okay. He's, ra- he's raising his hands in, in frustration. <laughs> it's your podcast. Uh, Fine. Yeah. Say what you want. Fine. <laughs> I'm just here to push the buttons. Oh, I do a good job at it. I'm loyal. You push my buttons, sir. <laughs> That's right. You push my buttons. <laughs> Tickle attack. <laughs> so, I can't work under these conditions. <laughs> you can. <laughs> All right, so so the point is that that uh, from the world's perspective, they see Obama as a weakling. And it doesn't matter what his purpose is, whether he's trying to do it or not. They, they, they whether the the, the the guard who is supposed to be guarding the hen house is negligent in his guarding, or whether he's purposely inviting people in, it's the same thing from the wolf's point of view, right? And that's what he's allowing to happen. He's, you know, I think he's extremely negligent. I think he um, doesn't care about uh, America's role in the world stage. And he, I think he truly believes that uh, that America could be dropped down a couple of pegs. That is consistent with his behavior here. And uh, going back to what you were saying before about the um, about this acceleration and such like that, it is so much more easy for somebody to let bad things happen. That to create good things, right? Um, you, you, you can't. You, you and I could could effectuate a complete change in a thousands people, a thousand people's lives today, within two hours. We could do horrible things. You and I can go to a crowded movie theater, just you know, blast away and kill and terrify five hundred people at a pop. And if we somehow manage to get out of there and do the same same thing to somebody else. Well, then there's a thousand people, right? 
And uh, not that we would ever recommend that. Of course, that's the, the opposite of what we would recommend. But it's so easy to cause misery to people's lives. Or I could just drive my car in, into a crowded area like the Grove and, and plow a lot of people down. I, I affect a lot of people that way. But to do good in the world, that's, that's really hard. It's, that's a one-at-a-time sort of situation, yeah, right? preparing food to take to a soup kitchen. Yeah. Uh, praying with the, the sick. Right. Uh, being, being nice to the, to the kid who's being bullied. You, you get the idea. It's, it's very hard. It's a, it's, a, it's a very hard work. It's, and you it's, can only do one at a time. Right. It's, it's, it's very similar to what I say about forest fires. Forests, right? It takes hundreds of years to build and seconds to burn down. Okay? So it's very easy to burn down. To do evil, very easy. And in this case, all you have to do as a president is simply to say, I don't feel like doing anything. You know, just abdicate your role, and terrible things will start happening. That's all he has to do. Just to, to go back to my analogy of guarding the hen house, he just has to step two feet to the right. Here's the door. He'll just stay right there. He'll stand. He'll look like a guard. But he's not guarding. Yeah, oh, you got an intelligence? Tell Valerie, I'm going to go play golf. That's, there you go. So it's, that's the way it's going to be happening. And Brett Stevens' point is a well-taken point, and it's the point that I made last Sunday. You, you can expect an acceleration of this problem. And right now, right now, what are we seeing? We're seeing a testing of the waters. Everything you're seeing, as bad as it is, Ukraine and, of course, Crimea before it, um, Hong Kong, uh, the attacks on Philippine uh, um, uh, oil supplies, and um, the, the Japanese—sorry, uh, the Vietnamese uh, push. Yeah, all the islands in the uh, all the islands. Um, you know uh, what's happening, of course, with ISIS. These are nothing compared to what will happen. These are just little pokes to see what will happen. But you know what? They don't have to worry because they should know by now. That Obama, America will do nothing, nothing, and it's it's an I mean even ISIS with the these airstrikes that we're now doing, it's an embarrassment. There, there's nothing happening, and, and just like you and I said, these airstrikes will do nothing, and as as many as they've done, and it's not been many by the way, that the news is okay. ISIS moves on despite airstrikes, surprise, right? But this is, these are, again, like I said, little pokes. And after a while, when they discover, hey, nobody's guarding the hen house, let's go. So that was, that's, yeah. that's when you can, yeah. you can expect the mayhem. And that mayhem is going to happen real soon. Well, and that one's going to happen, I was going to say, in, in the next few days. They're about to take Baghdad. Yeah. And once Baghdad is taken, the entire world of people who think the way they do will coalesce behind them seeing their victory. Yeah, It's, it's going to be an amazing moment and it can happen any day. You know, I, 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 I like to own up to my uh, predictions one way or the other. I, I had a prediction that the Baghdad takeover would happen much sooner because um, I, I just didn't have a lay of the land. But it's coming. Here it is. The Baghdad uh, invasion will happen well, soon enough. They control all the water supply flowing into that region. That's they all they need to do. Both rivers. Yeah, and that's something that they're not going to be telling you on the news. So, uh, look, I, I, I hope it never happens, 
but unfortunately, it looks like uh, Baghdad will be taken over in the next month. Uh, you know, let, let's be let's be liberal about the uh, estimate. I'll say within a month. You you think it might be five days? Somewhere in between. Somewhere somewhere yeah. very soon. And yeah. you know how our predictions usually come to sooner than it, it's probably happening twenty minutes ago. <laughs> right. Probably not. Yeah, probably. But, not. And another thing to note when you're shown pictures on the news, both you, I, everyone out there. You're shown these pictures of Iraq and Syria with these little red lines that, that say, this is ISIS territory. Well, just like how all of Egypt is really all along the Nile, in, in Iraq, the whole country's desert, except for along the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And the lines that say ISIS control territory are the lines along the rivers, which means every legitimate city in Iraq. Yeah, it's, it's what counts, is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's holding land and there's holding land, right? So l- let me move on to, to this general point because it's I want to summarize everything we've been saying because it's so important. Because, you know, we, we don't just talk about the news. We also want to – we have themes on the Brooke Lurie podcast, right? And our theme today started off with perspective. And we asked the question, why is it – why that people of faith with a deep abiding faith seem to kind of understand what's what so quickly – and they tend not to. They, they, t- they tend to get it. They tend to be right on the major issues. They tend not to be spooked by the latest craze and fad, whether it's global warming, the over- overpopulation myth, uh, global cooling, um, AIDS in America, and uh, the AIDS heterosexual AIDS in America, and now the Ebola virus and all the other viruses that came before it. Why is that? And I think it's because we gain perspective. Because of a deep abiding faith in God, it, it's it, it's the only way. It's like the kite I was telling you about. We know that the only thing that holds us, that that allows us to keep aloft, is that string that call, is called God. That's it. And um, this administration doesn't see it, and they're just kind of floating all over the place. And as a consequence, we're seeing devastation. Devastation in the world. The world is on fire. It's the year 2014, and we just we just can't keep up, Ari, with all the latest things. It is truly the. Uh, I wish it were only the cute assembly line in the "I Love Lucy" episode. If only, if only, if only, it were a matter of chocolates. But it's far more severe, folks. This is Brucklery. This has been the Brucklery podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Dude.